I didn't mention, but we're going to do this together. So we haven't done. I just assumed you knew. <laughs> I just had we're to. We're yeah. Um, so we haven't done this together in a long time. So bear with us. I think we're going to be okay. We weren't okay a few days ago at home when it was like. It's hard to prepare something together sometimes, right? It was, but a really great exercise in taming the tongue. Exactly. <laughs> so, it's good. So it's all good. Um, so this week in James 3, um, we're really going to be talking about taming the tongue, being impeccable with your word, which is so important. Um, the tongue has the power of life and death, which, which um, you know from personal experience, I'm sure. And when God created... Um, the world, he's spoken into being. So our tongue has creative power. The word is very important. We can, we can build and create with our mouth and with the words we say, and we can tear down and destroy with the words we say. It's really important that we get this concept and principle into our, our head, and it's not something that um, you're going to be great at just right away and immediately, right? It's like we have to, for the rest of your life, you will have to work on controlling your tongue, um, taming your tongue. But what we're going to see here is that it's really not um, just about what we say. It all begins with what's in our heart, and so that's where we're going to go to today. Um, so our words have power, and because of that, we have to be accountable for our words. You're accountable for the things you say and do. You're accountable for the way you encourage people and the way you you tear down people. God will hold you accountable for that. And so um, James, I imagine um, um, he's writing these things to um, the new church and the disciples who um, are teaching and leading the uh, new believers. And I imagine he's writing this because he's seen some examples of, of um, things they're doing wrong with with their speech and the things that, that they're saying. And so um, these... It's not so different now. I mean, you know people who are, are unbelievers or pre-believers. Um, and if you are in their life and you are a Christian and they know you're Christian, then you are an example to them. And the things you do affect them and affect their decisions to follow Christ. So we have to be very careful. We have power in the things we say. Um, in here... We're going to look at the verse, the first verse. He kind of talks about this. So, yeah. um, not many of you should become, become of teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So, well, the one thing Ouch. I want to say about that is don't assume a place of leadership until God has put you there, because you will be held accountable for your place of leadership, and you don't want to be anywhere that God's not, not told you to be because there um, are consequences for that. Um, when you are in a place of, of leadership that he's placed you in, you have a higher um, standard for your behavior. That's just the truth. Whether you're a leader in the world or a leader in, in the church, you have a higher standard. But especially if a kingdom leader has... Um, it's not just about what you do. It's about your character. In the world standards, a lot of times it's more about your um, accomplishments, but in the kingdom, it's about who are you, and that's your standard um, for leadership. So who you are often gets expressed with the things you say. So it's really important that you you represent right. Um, but if your heart is right, your speech is going to be right, right, right? Because it all kind of begins in our heart, and then the right behavior flows from that. Darren mentioned um, 
We're only in charge of our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Well, our thoughts are what kind of begins in our mind. And then when it becomes an attitude, it's settled in our heart. Um, it's what we believe, right? It's in our heart. And then our actions are on um, the body and what we do physically. And so if you get it right in your thoughts and it settles in your heart, then your actions are going to be okay. Your character is going to be good. You're going to be doing the right things. So, but... If you're thinking, well, I'm not a teacher, so I don't have to worry about this. <laughs> I never volunteered to teach a class. We or love lead loopholes. I don't want to get up there and talk, so I'm not held accountable. Um, th there's a different translation of this Bible, um, this verse that Darren's going to read here. Yeah, the Living Bible translation is just mean because it makes it not just about teachers. Uh, and Okay, sorry, I won't go there. Uh, dear brothers, don't be too eager to tell others their faults, for we all make mistakes. And when we teachers of religion, who should know better, do wrong, our punishment will be greater than it would be for others. Okay. Ouch. So that was, don't be too eager to tell others their faults. The moment that you think it's your place to tell someone else what they're doing wrong, you've become a teacher. And um, you're now held accountable at a higher standard. So if you don't want to be, then you don't need to be judging other people. It all comes down to judge, not lest you be judged, right? There's a higher standard. So when we start to be like, well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong, that's fine if God is leading you to do that. But now you have been put in, in a leadership position by God to be held to a higher standard of accountability. And remember, too, that uh, when we're talking about uh, the, the things that the ministries that God gives to the body, uh, pastors, evangelists, prophets, pre, uh, teachers, teaching is, uh, is a ministry that God elevates somebody to, right? That, that God... In, that God empowers somebody and calls them to do and then releases them to do, right? And teaching is, in that context, it's reserved for not teaching people who don't know who God is, right? That they, they're operating by a different set of rules when they're pre-Christian. And so I can share with them the gospel, but my teaching gift is not really for them. It's for the body, and he mentions here in, uh, in the NIV, um, in the NIV in verse 1, he's talking about teachers and believers. Now, there's all read, that's two levels of higher expectation. When you are a believer, when you profess with your mouth, I'm following Jesus now, it, you are then committing to being consistent with what not only believers, but what the world sees as a higher standard. Oh, you're a believer? okay, my standard for you is higher than. You shouldn't be doing this, 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 and this. So that's one level of increased accountability. But then when you're a believer, and this is what James is, is alluding to here, when you're a believer and God calls you then or you puts you in a position to teach the believers, that is another increased level of accountability. That's not a position, like Jennifer was saying, that you want to really just put yourself in because you think it's a good idea. It needs to be something that the Holy Spirit has, has moved in you to do and open up an opportunity for you to do. Uh, because, and, and I, on a very, very, very low scale, having taught English for 10 years, anytime I mess up on my spelling or I end with a preposition or something, there is someone who's like, I thought you were an English teacher. <laughs> when you say, I'm going to teach this, people expect you're never going to mess up in that. How much more impactful and significant is that when you are a teacher of 
the word and the ways of Jesus to the body. When you mess up on that, then people are, oh, I thought you were a teacher of the body. Because they always talk like that. Every time somebody calls you out, they're always talking like this. So... So anyway, I just wanted to mention that, that, that James is actually talking about, and what Jennifer's talking about is this higher standard that we're called to, which relates very clearly to the things that come out of our mouth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You want to read verse two? Yeah, I do want to read verse two. Yeah. So uh, verse two, by the way, we're only going to be going through verses one through 12 today. Part one of chapter three is enough. Part one of chapter three is a lot. And once we master this, we'll move on to part two of chapter three. So probably in about 15 or 16 years, we'll move on. Right? James 3, 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Okay. So that feels very like it's impossible, right? Because um, if you're never at fault in what you say, you're perfect and you can keep everything else in check. Um, the word... A perfect here comes from, um, let me see if I can say it right, telios, which doesn't actually mean being without sin, like we kind of think about with perfect. Because then we're like, well, no one's perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But this word actually means to be whole and complete and mature and finished. It's not about being perfect, but it's allowing, about allowing yourself to be perfected in Christ to be matured and grown in, into him. So, so it is possible. You can tame the tongue. You don't have to be without um, sin in Jesus to tame the tongue. You just have to submit yourself to the process of maturity that Christ is trying to do inside in you. It's a process. And so um, in order to reach th- this level of, um, of wholeness and maturity and, and, and steadfastness and the things Darren was talking about a few weeks ago, strength, we have to submit to the surrendered, or we have to surrender to the uh, will of God. What does God want for me in my life? The process of maturity um, only um, can come with surrender. Is that right? Yeah. If you have a child who's growing up and they're trying to mature, um, they have to um, surrender to your rules and expectations and, and um, your teachings to mature as a human. And if they don't, then you've all seen people that are 30 that still act like they're, they're 12, right? Because they've never um, um, surrendered either to the law or their parents or the Lord. And so we must do this and we have to submit um, our tongue um, to God if we want to develop in the process of of a maturity and becoming a complete in him. So it always... Everything that God's asking us to do requires something of us, yeah. right? Nothing is um, a freebie. If we, we have to submit to him and say, um, I'll do your will. I'll, um, I'll sacrifice the things I want in order to do the things you're asking me to do. And, and I'm going to put away my childish things in order to become a mature adult in Christ. And this has nothing to do with age because I've met six-year-olds that are more mature than 40-year-olds sometimes. Um, it's an attitude of your heart once again, right? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. and so Jesus is our perfect example of that. Yeah. When, uh, so we think, or I think, you probably thought too, when we read James uh, 3, 2, we stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. Who do you think of immediately? Yeah. Think of Jesus. Think of Jesus. If you said something else and you said, then that's fine too, but we think of Jesus, really. <laughs> um, so, 
we, we think of Jesus because he was without sin. Now, I want to mention Jesus was fully God, but also fully human, right? That possibility, he's our example of surrender. That possibility exists for us to walk as Jesus did on the earth. But none of us are really surrendered enough to the point that Jesus was to walk in that way. Jesus was fully human. So that means the same temptations for sin he had. The same emotions, the same hurts, the same pains, the same everything that you and I have that causes us to not want to surrender this to God. The same need to want to have our own way, to want to control things. Jesus went through those too. The difference between us and Jesus is that he was fully surrendered. When I think about the Garden of Gethsemane, that's a great example of this. He he said, if there's any other way, God, that we could do this besides me going through uh, the scourging and the crucifixion, then I would love that, right? That's that temptation of the self to have its own way. But we see how surrendered he is. He comes immediately after, checks his heart and says, but nevertheless, whatever you want to do, that's what we'll do. And, and, and so Jesus is our perfect example of surrender, of, of going through this process of perfection. And, and we see this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. We're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sin easily ensnares us, and it had the possibility of ensnaring Jesus too. But it didn't, because his heart was so committed to surrendering his own will to the will of the Father that sin never had a chance. It never had a chance to ensnare him and bring him down. The reason we don't really walk as Jesus did a lot is because we want to stay in control. Jesus let go of control. The whole point of Christianity is to let go of control, to give control over to God, which is, we're going to come back to that in just a moment, this idea of control, because James specifically talks about controlling the tongue which is kind of a tricky way of saying this. We're going to get to that in just a minute. I, just, um, I, I want to interject. Yeah. This really applies um, not just to when you're teaching unbelievers, but I think for most of us or all of us, it's going to apply mostly to our personal the relationships in our life. Yeah. So in a marriage relationship, for example, because I think that's one of the most obvious ones where it's important that you control your tongue and tame your tongue and, and the home, the family with your, your children or your spouse. Um, and I think the reason we have such a hard time with this is because we don't want them to give up a control, right? We want to be, I'm right, or I don't want to lose uh, my footing in this relationship. I forgive you, though. It's cool. I thank you. Yeah. So uh, I forgive you, too. Aw, <laughs> thanks. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Oh, that, that wasn't even a zinger. We could really go for it. Got, we get along very well. But because, um, <laughs> because you have to consider the other person. So often I think when you're talking about taming the tongue, the, the stakes are higher. The, the, the more important the, the relationship is to you, right? And so, but often that's where we lose it the most. And we say the things we shouldn't, that we would never say to a stranger, but we say to 
our loved one who God brought us, um, and it hurts the most. And so this isn't, um, it's not just about being um, a teacher of the word, but it's about just being like a good human in, in a relationship with people. It's so important that we realize how that we have to tame our tongue and we have to submit to the will of God. And God's will is for harmony and unity in your relationships. And we have to, we have to submit to that. Um, yeah. And because if we don't, if, if we can't even have our relationships be good, then you really have no business of teaching anyway. So. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Uh, yeah, so it's not, it's not just about being a teacher of the word. It's, being a, it's about being a person who has to use words to communicate. And those words can do various things. Those words, as we're going to look at in just a minute, Proverbs 18, 21, says that the words can bring life or they can bring death, mm-hmm. right? And, and so uh, he's talking about, James is talking about controlling the tongue. It's an issue of control. And that's where in verses uh, three through six, he gets into how we control other things and how we can't control this, the tongue in your mouth. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or we take, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It's about to get dark. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I know. <laughs> but, and that's true. That, that happens with when we, have some, when we have things in our heart that also didn't come from God, then those things come out of our mouth. And the confession of our mouth doesn't come from God. And if it doesn't come from God, it comes from someplace else. And that's what James is talking about. But I, I love this analogy of it being like a fire, that how great a, a forest, a little spark can set on fire. And I think it bears mentioning here that, yes, and, and wildfires are that way. I was looking at, uh, I was on 183 coming in and said, wildfire danger now. And I thought, that's really interesting that that sign is happening today. Uh, How great a forest a little wildfire can destroy. And we tend to focus on the destructive nature of fire, the destructive fire. A wildfire is bad, but not all fires are bad. And I want to mention this here. Wildfires are definitely bad. Wildfires are often, they're unintentional. They, They are destructive. They're hard to control. That's the same way it is with our, with our speech. Our tongue can set things on fire unintentionally, it gets destructive, and then it gets very hard to control after that. But, so we have a son who's gone through, he's, he got his forestry degree, and he used to talk, he took this fire ecology class, and he was talking to me about how fire is an essential part in the forestry service of getting rid of the dry things, the dead things that are going to cause a problem later on, right? So James is talking about the destructive nature of the tongue and how we, our tongue can set things on fire in a destructive way unintentionally, but the tongue can also be used for life. Proverbs says that. Jesus says that. We'll look at it in Luke 6.45 in just a second. So a controlled fire 
is actually necessary. Speaking the truth in love is necessary for cleaning out all the dead stuff, for burning out all the dry things that are just going to cause, they're just tinder for some other wildfire later on to just consume you, right? So, uh, so yes, there's a destructive nature to an unintentional wildfire, but we want our words not to be a wildfire, we want it to be a controlled fire, pointed, intentional, purposeful, because what that does is it creates an atmosphere for future growth. It gets rid of the dead things, gets rid of the dry stuff so that new life can grow. All right. And so in order to see the tongue used like that to create rather than to destroy, uh, we have to look at verses 7 through 12 uh, and some of these important aspects of what James calls taming the tongue. So verses 7 through 12, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and they have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with the tongue, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James is saying here, that we do use the tongue to bless. The words of our mouth can also curse. And that's the problem because that creates, as he was talking about with our motivations and our actions, our faith without deeds, faith without works. In chapter two, he's saying, what we say we believe should be evidenced by the things we do. And this is no different. This is just about words. What we profess to believe should be informing and directing and guiding and fueling the things that come out of our mouth. When it's different, when we are believers who, who bless at one moment and curse at the next moment, that's confusion. That's division. God is not the author of confusion and division, and so we shouldn't be vessels of it. God is the author of unity, of harmony, of peace, of encouragement. And so... Uh, so when, when he's talking about, uh, about freshwater, saltwater, can a fig tree produce olives? Can, you know, can, can thorns produce grapes? Can uh, cats and dogs living together? It'll be anarchy. It's like weird stuff. When he's talking about all of that, um, he's saying these things should not be. He's making a call for integrity, for filling our hearts up with the things that our tongue can draw from that are approved by God. We're talking about word of your testimony, worship faith confessions, declaring the word, words of encouragement, just being kind, these kinds of things, right? And in that way, our speech is both a symptom of our heart. It's also a measure of our heart. Sometimes we don't know what's in there until something we didn't intend comes out of our mouth. But that is a helpful tool that God allows us to use to check what's in here. Where did that word come from? I got so angry and I just yelled at that person that I don't even know where did that come from? That came from the heart. And that's how you know. And when you know, then there's things that we have to do to deal with it so that it becomes, uh, so, so that the symptoms of our heart become words of life, words of healing, words of peace, declarations of faith. And so when he's talking about all these natural world examples, he's, he's actually just 
referencing things that Jesus has already said. Okay, so we're in Luke 6, 43 through 45. Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. This is the big takeaway for today. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You grabbing that mic, you have something to say. I do, but I don't know if it's good. Um, <laughs> I, I was just thinking, I'm sure have y'all ever been in this situation? I was twice this week, had this feeling of, oh, what's in my heart? Because what just almost came out. And because, um, you know, we're taught what's, what's in our heart is going to come out, right? And when, when pressure's on or something happens and the heart uh, squeeze, you know, you're squeezed a little bit, what comes out. And so it's yeah. a good litmus test for us. And um, yeah. just the other, I'm just being, I'm just being real. I forgive so, you already, Thank right? you. Just the other day, <laughs> this is so dumb. We have a squeaky bed and it drives me crazy. Does anyone else have a squeaky bed? And I like hip out of the blue, everything was fine. I'm just trying to go to sleep. And then I move and I hear a squeak and it just, it just, I got so mad all of a sudden. I was like, this bed, I hate this bed. You know, and it comes out and I didn't even say that. It was worse. You said <laughs> so, other things. And then, and it shocked me and I think shocked Darren like that I got so mad so fast about this. I was like, bed. I was in that phase where you're like this close <laughs> to being asleep <laughs> and you're just peacefully drifting off and then all of a sudden, and it just, and I know you've all been there. I am just being honest. What I'm saying is, there you go, the baker's got their heads. So what I'm saying is when that, sometimes you get surprised, you think you're all good and your heart's right, and then something that you didn't expect makes you so mad, and that's what came out. And, like, I was even surprised at how mad I got. And, and I just thought... What's, you know, is this an indicator of my heart bad or am I just really tired? I think I'm really tired, Lord. But w whether it's a physical thing or a spiritual thing, it's still an indicator of something's not quite right, right? Whether you're grieving or you're tired or you're hungry or your heart is just not right. It's still an indicator. Our mouth is an indicator. And so, like, maybe you're talking to your spouse who you love, but you get angry and something ugly comes out and you're like, I'm sorry, I, you know, I didn't mean it, but it's an indicator of something and you need to deal with that something. You need to go, something though in my heart isn't right. I'm not actually okay about this. In my case, I think I was really just tired, but that's still an indicator. Something's wrong, if that's my response. Yeah. And then yesterday I was up here for the women's breakfast and I tripped going up the stairs, <laughs> my sandal caught, and I like flew and fell on the ground and I was in that moment of flying. Well, I didn't fly because I'm, you know, I'm not tiny. And I'm so, picturing it like in slow motion. Yes. I was like, I was trying not to say anything because there were ladies in the kitchen. I didn't want to be loud and alarm them. But I couldn't help it. But what just came out was, ah! You know, how like just a noise. And I thought, oh, thank goodness nothing else came out. <laughs> like, I just yelled. But like, even when you're trying to be quiet, when you get hurt or you're surprised, things come out. And so you have to... Um, I'm being very vulnerable. I'm just being real. You all have experienced this. What so I'm good. saying is it's what's in your heart, you know? Yeah. Things come out. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to continually submit that. And when something ugly comes out, it is a reminder to me. I'm like, God, I'm sorry. What's, what's going on with me? Like, why would that be what comes out in a moment? Our goal is in that moment of...
fear or um, stress or fatigue or hurt, what comes out is a good thing, you know? And that's our goal. And it's a litmus test for us, right? The, the bar, we can't have our bar here. Our bar needs to be here. Even though we're not going to be as good as, as Jesus Christ, he's our example. And I, I know he would never have yelled about a squeaky bed. <laughs> and so, um, and so we, we do have to raise the standard for what's okay, and especially in our home. I think especially in our home, we have to raise that standard. We have to create a home of peace for our, our spouses, our children, our parents, our loved ones, whoever we are in our home with. Um, and a place of peace, if, if things are coming out of your mouth, then the peace is not there. There's no peace. So you really have to evaluate. And so this is really a challenge for us to say, you know, God, what's in my heart? And what comes out when I'm experiencing all these things? And if it's ucky and not good, then um, we have to figure out... The, uh, why is it that way? What's going on yeah. with me? Because And so we realize we can't control our tongue. Right. The, it, the scripture says that no human can control our tongue. So you can try all you want, but unless you ask God to come in and the, the Holy Spirit to help you, you're not going to be able to control your tongue. So you have to partner with God on this. And to, to that point, remember we mentioned just a little bit ago, the whole purpose of following Jesus is to relinquish control. Yeah. To relinquish control. So when James says, no human can control the tongue, we get into problems because we're trying to. Right. We get into problems because, oh, no, I can't say that. I can't say that. Yeah. And it becomes, what's coming out of our mouth becomes like a set of religious rules. Yeah. And, and we're trying to manage what's happening here at the expense of looking at what's happening here in your heart. Yeah. So no human can control the tongue. Exactly. But we were never meant to. Yeah. It's, that's God's uh, assignment. That's mm-hmm. his thing. And, and out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. If we fill up our heart with the things of God, then we won't have to control it. Right. We won't have to worry about that. And, and we won't make declarations that take us out of a place of faith or that take someone else into a place of confusion. Right? Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that was what I was going to say. It was good. Aww. Yeah. So um, if we're talking about, there's really an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of just our mind, you know, or, I mean, it is. It all kind of begins in our mind and then moves to our heart. But it's not just about controlling um, your mouth. Um, Have any of you, I'm sure in your relationships, you've thought, I want to say this, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to be so good. I'm not going to say it. Eventually, you're going to say it. There's no way. Once it comes from your head to your mouth space, it's going to come out at some point. It might just come out a little later when everyone's not mad and you're like, um, I was just going to mention this. You know, you, if, it, if you say that, I'm not going to say it. You're going to say it. So the key is not to just keep it in your mouth. The key is to never let it get there, right? Because your response is correct. You have the right response to what's happening. So again, it's all a matter of our response. Everything in life is about how you respond to it. Yeah. Like you're good, you're bad, um, Two people can have the same situation happen, and one has a good response, one has a bad response, and their life looks very different. It's all a matter of our response. So what we're not trying to control the tongue, like you said, because that's impossible. Once it's there, it's going to come out at some point. We're trying to control our response. Like, where does it really begin? What's the root, you know, of, of, of the things we're, yeah. we're struggling with or dealing with? And how do we first give that to God so that what comes out is, is a good fruit and not the ecky fruit? And we've got, like... Four, we're going to close with like four quick steps 
They're not quick. They take a lifetime to master. But, uh, but four steps in this process for moving forward, as, as James is talking about, about taming the tongue. And we need to remember that taming the tongue is like all forms of self-control. It's less about striving to be better and more about surrendering to God. It's, it's a lot less work than we think it is. It is really a process of letting go. We can't make ourselves better than God can make us if we will just surrender to him and let go. Uh, and so we're talking about what's in here, what's in your heart, examining your heart. So how do you examine your heart? How do you change it? Yeah. How, do you, how do you get that ship corrected? How do you move the rudder so that your ship's going the right way? The first thing you have to do is you just have to ask. You have to ask him for help. Um, in James 1, 5, um, can you read that? Yeah. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Uh, God is so good because he, he's not working against you in, in, in your journey of maturity. He, he wants to help you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to... Um, to see you live um, a fruitful life and a good life. And so we just have to ask him. We just have to say, God, you know, what's going on with me? Like, what's going on in my heart? Sometimes we don't even know it. We're like, I thought I was good. I didn't expect this ugly to come out or this anger. And so you just have to ask him, will you help me, God? Will you help me and give me the uh, wisdom to um, see the problem and to see where I need to shift and what's happening for me? Like Jennifer mentioned earlier, we know, you know, I know, I've been this person before who will have God, I've, I've asked, what's going on in my heart? And he'll show me and I'll say, oh yeah, that, that is going on there. I don't want to deal with that. So I'll move on. Uh, so the next step after we ask, we have to submit. After we ask, it's one thing to know what's happening in our heart because God said, oh, here's what's going on. Or we recognize, oh, this came out of my mouth. That must be going on in my heart. It's one thing to ask and to have the information. It's another thing to submit to him and allow him to take us through the process. And this is, David writes about this in Psalm 139. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's one thing to ask God to reveal something to you. It's another level of submission to say, okay, thank you for revealing that to me. Take that out of me. Deal with it. And then once he's removed that, uh, then you have to fill it up with something else. And so you have to receive from him. Um, And... Philippians 4.8, and the finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and whatever is, is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Yeah. So oftentimes what comes out when we're squeezed is because that's what we've been putting in. And so it's not even just about like, um, I want my heart to be right. It's like, well, what's in your heart? And what have you um, been filling it up with? Um, maybe you've noticed if if um, cussing comes out a lot when you're angry, and then you're like, "But I'm always that's just how we talk. I'm always around people that are always cussing. That's just what comes out. But that's what you're always around, and so that's what's going to come out. Or like if you're always around people that are just they're they're negative and critical about everything. Eventually, you're going to pick up on those things. You're going to be yeah. be negative and critical about everything. If, if you fill yourself up with yucky stuff, then that's what's going to come out. And so we have to receive the things that are pure and good 
and true and lovely and admirable. So it's not just, it's not enough to just say, God, what's my problem? Okay, please fix it. We have to take responsibility of fulfilling up our heart with the uh, things of God and the things he's um, put in front of us that, that are good. And, yeah. and, and so it, I guess what it comes down to is we have to take some responsibility. It's not, we can't just say, God, fix everything. Yeah. It's up to you. What are you putting in your heart? What are you surrounding yourself with in life? Uh, what are you uh, meditating on in uh, your free time? You know, are you taking that empty heart that now you've submitted to him and putting good things inside of it? Yeah, and then and so it's ask, submit, receive from the Lord, and then finally declare. He's filling us up. We're trying to meditate on all of these things that he's drawing us toward, these things that are encouraging to us, these things that are building us up. Don't just leave them inside here. Declare them. Get them out. Taming the tongue is not just about, we look at, at cussing a lot, you know, that kind of, it's not just about cussing, right. right? Sure, that might be a part of it, but it's about putting yourself down. It's about negative self-talk. It's yeah. about judging words over someone else. It, 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 it's about confessions Anger. about who you are, who someone else is, who God is, that God didn't say. Yeah. It's about taking us out of a place of faith with our words, right? right? So we declare, First, uh, first Timothy 2.1, Paul's urging Timothy to start this way. I urge then, first of all, petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. If you start praying for people, you will stop complaining about people. Yeah. That's just the thing. When God puts someone on your heart and you begin to pray for them, you begin to encourage them, you begin and, and encourage yourself. Unless you're praying like, Lord, I just pray that you bring your wrath down on that person because we've all heard those kind of prayers. I'm just praying, God, that you fix them. and Lord, I just want to pray against Darren right now. Yeah, and so that's not prayer. That's still, that's still yeah. a cursing. A prayer is agreeing with God about what he says. That's yeah. what a prayer is. Yeah. And so when we, yeah, and God's never doing the other business. He's always encouraging. That's right. Yeah, so, it would, so ask, submit, receive, declare. 